Hey there, it's Jake. Before we jump in, I wanted to let you know that this episode of The Online Hustle is a bit of a time capsule. It's from a podcast I used to run between 2012 and 2016. You're going to hear some references to that show, uh, to businesses and content that may have changed or may not even exist anymore. In this episode, we're speaking with Terry Lynn from buildmyonlinestore.com, which is a podcast for e-commerce store owners and aspiring store owners. Now, we've had a couple of podcasters on the show already in Dan Andrews, Tim Reed, and a few others. But what we haven't done is broken down how you can go about setting up your own. So Terry's been podcasting for a few months now and he's built up quite a good following. So we're going to have a chat and really bounce a few ideas off each other about how you can go about setting up your own podcast and successfully promoting it and building your own audience as well. So I hope you enjoy this interview. Let's go off and get straight into it right now. Terry, how are you? How's it going, Jake? Fantastic. And I'm so glad to get you on the episode today. You're a fellow podcaster and you've been going for, would it be just under a year now, is it? No, probably only about six months or so. I started in May of 2012 and now it's what, January. So I had stopped for a month while, so Ned, probably six months. That's great. Now, in our previous episodes, we've had a couple of other podcasters on. We've had mainly, we had Dan Andrews talking about podcasting and then Tim Reed from Small Business Big Marketing talking about podcasting as well. Now, what I'd like to do for our listeners is really dig deep into how you go about setting up and starting your own podcast. Uh, I don't feel we've gone deep enough into that. And what I want our listeners to be able to do is really basically follow a long guide to actually podcasting. And I think given that you're relatively new, to podcasting, you've probably got some great tips to share with the audience. Yeah, certainly. Let's uh, get into it. All right. So just before we get into it, for the listeners out there who don't know who you are, Terry, uh, why don't you give us a little bit about your background? Sure. So I first got into podcasts probably around early 2000s. I'm a big uh, electronic music nerd. And back then you had these people who would record live sets. They would go to a trance concert and they would record like Tiesto for like an hour and a half. And so that's how I first found podcasting. And then so sometime around last year, I was at a day job. I'm still at a day job now. And I realized building a business, like Dan said, is really the best way to create uh, more opportunity and freedom and to give a lifestyle that you want. And so I sent him an email with a couple ideas. And then he was giving people basically yes or no ideas in terms of if they were dead on arrival. And so one of the ideas was in the e-commerce realm. And then I went with that and then somehow ended up interviewing people that run e-commerce stores. And so the idea came from this a little bit because... I listened to Mixergy a couple of times, and Mixergy is very tech-focused. Right? You have the startup guys, you have people that do SaaS software. It's all over the place. And so I thought, okay, if Andrew Warren could take this model and make it so big, why can't I just focus it on something more narrow like e-commerce that still has a lot of room for growth in the future too? And so you also see a lot of podcasts online about making money online, and I didn't really want to get into that. So e-commerce is like a tangent off that, and so that's where I started off. And so the show basically interviews people that run e-commerce stores. So I either find them on blogs like Shopify, BigCommerce. Uh, these are the big SaaS kind of platforms that you can start a store on. And I've also gone on to the Shark Tank. I don't know if you guys get that uh, in Australia, but it's a big U.S. show where people go pitch people like Mark Cuban, Barbara Corker, and to invest in their startup. And so uh, I do follow-up interviews with probably about three of them right now. And so basically, it's I ask people how they built their stores, what troubles they ran into, and what platform technology they're using just to show everyone, hey, starting an online store is not a huge kind of black hole that was that it was 10 years ago. Oh, that's really interesting. And so e-commerce, did you have any experience in e-commerce before jumping into starting the podcast? Very little. So when I was in college, when you buy textbooks from university, 
the most expensive textbooks are usually what the chemistry, the physics textbooks, and like the legal books. And so when I was a sophomore, I was buying textbooks for econ class, and I noticed the bookstore was buying a hundred dollar textbook back from students at twenty dollars. But then they would just repackage it the next semester and sell it for ninety. And so I thought, okay, what? There's a big gap here of seventy dollars for a textbook. Why don't I just buy it from my classmate for twenty dollars, and then I'll post on Amazon for say sixty-five. And then that's what I did for a whole summer, and I made so much money like that. And that's how I got into e-commerce、uh, very early on. <laughs> That's fantastic. You're certainly right in saying it. It's a growing market, and considering how many bricks and mortar stores there are out there, and how the majority of these stores would benefit from going online anyway, you can just see we're probably on the tip of the iceberg still when it comes to e-commerce. Yeah, and just to give you a crazy statistic, I was talking to the guy at Shopify, and he was saying North America in 2012, all the retail sales, only about 10 to 15 percent was actually on e-commerce. So that's still. A lot of room to grow. Ah,、oh, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. So you've got yourself into a fantastic little. All right, let's lay it out for the listeners for the rest of the episode. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to interrogate you about how you've gone through the process and how you've set everything up. And try and put it into some sort of step by step system that our listeners can follow to potentially start their own podcast show as well. How does that sound? Sounds good. Let's bring it on. Excellent. All right. So you mentioned that you'd shot an email across to Dan Andrews. Now Dan, of course, is from the Lifestyle Business Podcast and from a Dynamite Circle, a forum that he runs. What was the next step from there? So the next step was just figuring out how podcasting actually works. So basically,、uh, a podcast is like a blog RSS, but it's audio, right? So you subscribe to it. You either in iTunes or on a Google Reader and automatically downloads through the feed. So basically, to learn how a whole podcast works in terms of the backend, like the hosting, the distribution, it would probably take you maybe three, two, three days at most, because there's some technicalities in setting up the whole structure. But just to get your head around everything, it would probably take a day or two. So that's how I started first. And so the resource I use. Was、uh, Cliff Ravenscraft? I think po- he's the podcast answer man. He had a six-step YouTube videos that were each like ten minutes long, and so I just watched those like one or two times. And you basically from that you can understand how podcasting works in general, and then that's how you jump into it at first. And do you see that as vital for those those that are less tech savvy out there?、Uh, yes, because I would suggest his videos because he actually walks you through everything, assuming you are not a very tech savvy person. He walks through what MP3 file is, what ID3 tag is, what FeedBurner is, why you shouldn't use your hosting services FeedBurner, and some of the tips and tricks that he's done that he's seen for like the past I don't know how many years he's been doing, but it's a very long time. All right, so you've gone through and you've learned the inner workings of how podcasts work. Where to next? So the next step is to decide what topic you want to do. So, for example, I guess me, I was on e-commerce, so I wanted to find stories to interview. So basically, I knew I was going to go with the interview format because really the guest is who has the knowledge and who has the nuggets to share with the audience. And so once you、uh, decide on、like、the kind of guest, I guess the Tim Reed says it's the spine of the show.、Uh, you can decide the format too. Do you want to do an interview? Do you want to do co-host? Do you want to do a single person like Pat Flynn and Smart Passive Income? So basically, there's no right or wrong way to choose it, but it has to be something that you enjoy doing for a long time. And so, just for me, I enjoy interviewing because I'm intuitively curious about businesses. So it allows me to interrogate an e-commerce store and how they got started and how they run everything. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess it also comes down to 
why you're actually podcasting and probably coming from a similar place that you have, Terry, and that's one of the goals from releasing this particular podcast is to build my authority. And there aren't too many better ways to do that than to build authority via association. Yeah, exactly. And the part thing about podcasting versus, say, guest posting is that it's much easier to get someone to come on your podcast for, say, 30 minutes than to say, hey, can I guest post on your blog, which is probably what a lot of people are doing. And it's guest posting, I'm sure it still works, but just the friction of copying on Skype like we are right now for 20, 30 minutes is a lot less and it's much more easier too. And so there's also a kind of a clout where you say, instead of saying you have a blog, saying you have a show, internet show, there's a kind of a, maybe five years ago this was sounding crazy, but now it's, oh wow, you have a show. It's a little, There's a different meaning to it, I think. Yeah, definitely, there absolutely is. All right, so let's continue down. You've got all these different mediums or, or different uh, podcasting formats, but we're going to follow your path here. So you've chosen the interview path. How do you go about finding and getting guests to come on the show? Sure. So this probably breaks into two parts. I would say the first 10 episodes, finding guests is a little tough. I would say the first three, you should go with people just to get the ball rolling. And so my first guest was actually a Shopify store owner I interviewed when I was just starting out, asking for the problems and if we could just hop on Skype to talk about it some more. And then naturally it became an interview and that's how we did it. I branched into that. And finding the first couple of guests, it's tough. You need to go with people that are buying into your idea of, hey, I could be on a podcast. This is cool to get my business featured in iTunes when people search for it. It's on the internet. Anyone who finds it can download it anywhere in the world, right? I think most of our podcasts get downloaded from probably like 80 to 100 countries. I'm sure you look at your stats. It's something similar too, which is absolutely crazy. Right? Anyone in the world can listen to your show. So uh, get people that are on board with that idea first. And then as you get bigger, you can use that as leverage to say, hey, here's a sample of my work with three or four people. You can check it out and you can come on my show. This is what you're going to expect. Whereas if you just went, say I went to like Seth Godin for my first episode, he wouldn't care who I am. But after say maybe 100 episodes, you had someone's podcast he's been on, maybe Entrepreneur on Fire or a couple other shows. You can say, think about it, hey, Seth, here's these three people, four people, would you want to come on my show? I think the friction would be a lot less than if you just started out uh, right out of the gate. So that's the two-step leverage plan. Uh, once you have a show just starting out and once you have some kind of like a body of work built up. And so what do you do? Do you just pick up the phone or do you send them an email or social media? How do you contact these people? Yeah, so I have a temp standard template I can send you later. It's basically... I include everything in the subject line. I say, hey, can I interview you this day, this time on my podcast, which is a subject line? Because if you just say hi in the subject line, sometimes people might not click it. And especially if you go to people that are very busy with a ton of email, uh, if you can just summarize everything in one sentence in the subject line and then they click into it, and then you can get uh, into the body of about what your podcast is in the body. So what I do is I ask them for a time, tell them how the interview is done via audio Skype what my podcast is about and i link three episodes that i've done and then i say here's what you can check out here's my website here's itunes let me know what you think and basically the hit rate is probably somewhere 80 90 percent now it's very hard to get no's once you've got a pretty good body of work built up i think yeah, absolutely. I've seen that exact same thing happen. Uh, and as you say, it's probably hardest at first trying to get those initial few interviews. Yeah. And I think really all you need to be doing is doing just a bit of research in your niche. And you'll probably find that potentially others in the marketplace who are also looking to get exposure as well. So they may not be the superstars or that they, they potentially are as well. I know someone like James Shramko, he'll jump on anybody's podcasts and he is a superstar. Yeah. But you will find in your own niche a number of different people who are looking to get exposure so if you just put your mind to it and do a little bit of research initially you'll probably find them pretty easy 
Yeah, I'm speaking to Shremko tomorrow, actually. So basically, the one I sent him was I sent him a mail through Dynamite Circle email, and I said, hey, here's my interview with Tim Reed, who he does Freedom Motion with, Dan Andrews, who's been on his podcast multiple times. I think he's also in the, he's the guy of uh, the DC, too. And then I sent one, who is my third one? Oh, Dan Norris. And so they he's been on his podcast here. So basically, it's an easy yes for him to say. Yeah, absolutely. It's like absolutely no-brainer. So basically, it's knowing how to leverage a content tactically to get bigger guests. And so the way you can look at it if you're in a completely new niche is that you look at like the A A-list bloggers and then you look at who has guest posted on their site. So this is what I did with uh, Shopify too. I basically found the guest posters on Shopify. I found about three or four of them that the PR guy really knew that they work with and publish on a constant basis. And I got them on my podcast and then I interviewed one of their officers and I sent the PR guy, hey, here's an interview with one of your senior officers. Would you like me to do a guest post? And then he said yes. So versus if you just spam him back and forth, it's the fr- friction is so much easier to go through. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that strategy, it's, I guess, a, a classic networking strategy where you're looking for the influences of the authority people in the marketplace and reach out to the influences of them and you'll potentially get in front of the authority figure. Yeah, this comes from a book I used to read by a guy called Dick Marcingo. He is like a military, like he wrote these fiction military novels. He was a Navy SEAL. And he had this phrase where he says, when something like poop smells worse when it drops on your head versus if you step on it on the ground. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, it's, it's like the corporate world. You leverage the decision maker, right? If you want something done, it's much easier to go to the boss than to keep trying to go through the secretary or the gatekeeper. You tell the boss it's okay. And then you CC the secretary and then everything's smooth, right? It's just the way the world works and you're just using that to your advantage. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So we don't need to talk a lot about the technical aspects any longer because you've probably covered a lot of that if you've gone and look at Cliff Ravenscraft stuff. But leading up to the interview, how do you record an interview with a guest? Sure. So basically the tools I use are Skype like we are right now. And then there's a plugin called Call Recorder. It's like $15, $20. And it's basically a plugin to Skype that records your Skype conversation. And the thing that's key about this is that it allows you to split the vocal tracks. So, for example, after you edit this, it'll split my track on a separate file. It'll split your track on a separate file. Therefore, when you edit it, it's not one file that you can't cut, cut back. Because if I cough right now and you're talking and they're not separate files, there's no way you can edit that out. Whereas if it was separate, you can cut it out, come out the ums and ahs, and uh, piece it back together. So that's the key software that I use to record. Exactly right. And I'll usually swear a little bit while my guest is speaking. So listeners won't hear a lot of that because I just edited it out. Yeah, exactly. And then, so that's like the key software that gets you started in terms of your content production. And then after that, you split it in the software. It comes with Call Recorder. And then you put it in your audio editing software, which I use is Adobe Audition. Uh, I know people use Audacity too. I believe that's free. And just like Dan Andrews from the Lifestyle Business Podcast says, Audition is like the Ferrari of audio editing. Okay. Let's keep going down along the lines of the interview process with our guests. Now, so you've got everything in place. You've set up an interview with them. You've got the software or all the technical stuff set up to actually interview them. How do you approach an interview? What sort of research or how much preparation do you do in interviewing a guest? So I would say average, it takes about maybe an hour if you're quick, 30 minutes. So what I do is I actually ask a structured list of questions, but I let it go as the guest takes it. So some interviews are very structured. In ter- I guess Mixergy is a very structured interview, right? He has a format and he has these set questions that he asks in a certain path. So the mentality I take is like a tour guide. 
You're just showing your audience this business and you let the scenery explain itself uh, as you go along to different parts. So uh, what I do in my show is when you look at a business, there's basically uh, two frameworks, right? There's the SWOT framework, which comes from the art of war. Uh, it's the strength, weakness, opportunities, threats of a business. And then there's the other side, which is an external one uh, called Porter's Five Forces. And this guy, uh, Michael Porter, is a Harvard Business School professor. And the Porter Five Forces is like your competitors, pricing, substitutions, competitive advantage, and what else? Uh, one, one other thing. So basically, this is the framework I take when I look at a business. I come up with questions based on each of these points. And then when you combine all of these, you get a real holistic view on, on a person's business. And so that's the interview I take. And then I also look at their social media platform. I look at their Facebook. What have they been posting recently? Is there anything interesting? Are uh, they listed on, do they have, have they been on like Cosmopolitan and Ask Men? Big news sites and you take it from there. And the key thing is to find something curious that intrigues you. Because if it intrigues you, it'll usually intrigue your audience. And that's, I think, what really makes a good interview. Okay, fantastic. And do you normally, when you're going through this process, do you know where the interview is going to go? Like in terms of, are you asking questions that you know what the interviewee is going to answer? Yeah. So what I do is I structure kind of bullet points based on each aspect of the business I want to cover. So if you look at my show, I'll cover uh, customer development, e-commerce platform, mindset, sourcing your product, and social media or marketing. And so basically within those six or seven arcs, you then make four or five bullet points that are interesting to you. And then you pass it to the guests and then they, at least they know what they're working with. And usually if it's a business owner and someone that's on top of the business, it's really easy for them. So you want to give your guests an idea of what to expect, but you don't want to give them everything like a long question, like a 30, 40 list bullet question. Because then if you give them a whole list, it gets very formal and doesn't really flow naturally in my view. Yeah, definitely. And it's important. That you have to really sound like having a conversation with somebody. Yeah, because the last thing you want to sound like is like on a new show where you're going really for the camp, Tim Reed calls it the fireside chat thing, right? Because most people, when they're listening to podcasts, they're either driving, they're working out, they're looking for something that'll keep them company, right? Not, not necessarily a documentary that goes up through fact after fact with a very rigid style. So that's my take on this. Yep, definitely. Moving on now, we've recorded a podcast episode. Do you do the editing yourself? Uh, yes, I do. Actually, there's one thing I forgot to mention. A lot of the times on podcasts, you'll see people interview really big guests, and one of the mistakes I always thought was that, oh, if I don't get a big guest on my podcast, who would want to listen to it? But the thing you'll realize is that most people, they can relate better to lesser known guests in terms of, say, if you have a blog, if you're, I guess, like an e-commerce store, right? So, for example, if I interview uh, a business that's doing $100 million versus one that's just starting out, the success gap to speaking to someone that's so high up seems very hard to relate to. And so if you speak with someone that's been doing it for one or two years, it's actually some of those episodes resonate much better, actually, which is surprising. If you're worried you can't get a big guess, I wouldn't worry about that at all. Just work your way up as you get more experienced. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I guess if you're looking long term at your show, creating a stronger emotional attachment with your audience is probably more important than getting some short term traffic gains by chasing those big guests. Yeah. And the other thing is the big guests have probably been around on a lot of podcasts, which is not a bad thing, but they probably heard them here or there. For example, how many podcasts did you hear Tim Ferriss on when The 4-Hour Chef was out? Like he, was in yeah. my, <laughs> he was in my feed of like 20 podcasts. And, and I, yeah, you listen to four or five of them what he's going to talk about. So basically, by bringing someone not as well known, you do keep it fresh a little bit. So 
Yeah, definitely. And I think on a recent episode on Mixergy with Shoe Money, Andrew, essentially, he didn't edit the podcast. He basically just threw up a quick intro and then got it out there. And the reasoning behind it was the same reason as Tim Ferriss. He was about to embark on a podcasting promotional tour and Andrew wanted to make sure that he was the first one with an interview with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and those guys do it for a reason, which is I'm nothing against that. But sometimes it's just cool to do something a little different. Kind of like Mark Twain says, right? if you find yourself on the same side as the majority, it's uh, time to reflect. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right. So where do we go from here then? You've um, recorded an interview. So you asked me about editing, right? So I do all the editing myself, which is something I'm trying to get out of. But when you first edit, your first episode will take you forever. It'll... Because I'm a perfectionist, my first episode, I cut out a lot of the ums and ahs. And when you're doing this well, when you can see the waveform, which is the audio file in your editor, basically there's these different spikes, and that's the amount of volume, I guess, that's in a recording. And so basically when you see an ah, and you can recognize it visually, that's when you're a pro at editing, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Like you can see it before it comes, and you just cut it right away without even listening to it. So basically, editing out the ums and ahs is probably big because I'm a believer that the quality shines through. And I think while the content is important, the quality does matter too. So uh, it reflects on your kind of your professionalism. If you're, you want to make this help your business, it does reflect off your image uh, in the long run. So I would say don't skimp on your quality if you can, because it's not like a website. You're listening to a podcast. All you have is your ears. It's not like a website. You have sidebars, you have different colors or a video where you can see different things. You're using your ears. So if it's the quality is bad, it can actually have an impact on your audience, I think. Yep, let's stay on that topic and let's look at what's your stance on the intro, outro branding for your podcast. I know you're using some commercial music in your intro. Uh, so how did you decide to put in some commercial music and, and how important is it to have to good intro, outro music? Sure. One of the things about music is that I think you have to find one that I guess the feeling matches the tone of your show. So for example, if my show it's laid back, fireside chat, and I had a heavy metal band come in, it, it would just seem very odd, right? And what I would do is say, once you've decided on your show, if you want to do an interview show, go look for three or four other shows that you really enjoy, either podcasts that you enjoy. So basically what I did was I found inspiration from the Adam Carolla show, the Lifestyle Business Podcast, and Foolish Adventures. So basically you look at different shows that you listen to and then you take pieces that work from each show. And so the one that worked well from Adam Carolla is that he does a lot of uh, sound walls in between. So I think he starts out with a general intro and then he has a news section and they have like listener questions. And then each section is blocked off by two or three seconds of audio. And so basically, once you have that structure copied, you can then plug in different pieces of music or voiceovers that you can get on places like Fiverr or Odesk or any other places. So uh, I would say look at shows that you like and then take inspiration from them. Okay. And what about the commercial music? Can you use the commercial music in your own shows? Technically, no, but you can get royalty-free music on a place I go called Pond5. And so they have music there for maybe $5 to $50. But I think commercial music, if you do it like once or twice and you credit it, we're not super, super duper mega million star podcasters. I don't think we can get sued anytime soon. But <laughs> each person has their own risk tolerance, right? So that's my take on it. But of course, to be safe, you shouldn't use any commercial music that's not licensed properly by a lawyer or whatever all that deal is. Yeah, very good point. Very good point. Okay, let's get into then, I guess the next logical step for me would be into the marketing and the promotion of your podcast. How do you go about doing that with yours? Sure. So this was a mistake I made in the beginning. I, I recorded an episode, I edited it, and I would do the next episode and I'll edit it. And so basically by doing that in the beginning, you really cut yourself 
out of, of a lot of time in doing the promotion. So what I would, if I would do it again, I would basically record five or six episodes at first, and I will let the episodes drip out every week. And then for that first month, just focus on promotion. And so I wasn't able to promote that much as much as I wanted because I'm still at the desk job. So what I basically did was I went through the Dynamite Circle, which is Dan Andrews' mastermind. I went to the people I knew there to get them to listen to it. And then I also blasted it on Twitter about two or three times a week. And that was about it. So probably a little lackluster effort, but I think you can definitely improve on that if you're starting a new podcast now. What would you do differently then? So I would get all the guests that I've interviewed before to help me promote it too. Basically, those first five or six episodes. And so basically then you can really steamroll yourself and make a big leap in terms of kind of the exposure instead of letting it grow slowly week by week, month by month, which is a mistake. So it's interesting. The first month uh, I released, I had probably 300 downloads now. And so I thought, wow, 300 people, that's actually more than I thought. And then as of December last year, it was probably like at 9,000 a month. It's not as big as some other podcasts, but knowing that you've grown 30 times in half a year is pretty pretty well, though. And I think uh, one of the key aspects you should do is if your podcast is growing organically, people will naturally reach out to you, especially if your content's resonating with them. So basically, if you look at your opt-ins, your Twitter followers, if they're getting gradually growing without you really pushing the content out, that's how the subtle way that it's really resonating and people are finding it organically. Yeah, that's a very good point. And as you say, when the goal is the long term, having that really engaged audience is very important. Yeah. And I think one thing I, another, I guess the counter side of this is that since I didn't do much promotion, I, I knew that it wasn't just all my Facebook friends and my family or friends listening to this in terms of getting the actual data starting out. Because if that was the case, it would have just dropped after two months because they would stop downloading or they would find other things to do. So whereas if you let it grow organically, you can actually see the trend of everything uh, go up, which is a very encouraging sign. Actually, on that topic, one of the hardest things that I'm encountering is getting feedback from the audience. Do you have any suggestions about how you can actually try and get some feedback from your audience? No, this is something I showed with too. So what I did was, you know how the standard Aweber MailChimp opt-in is you click your email and then you take you get taken another page that says check your email for uh, confirmation, right? That's the standard kind of thing you get. Yep. And so what I did was I actually created a survey after that page and in a Google form on my website. And that's after the click submit, that's the page I get linked to. And basically on that page, it has, how did you find this podcast? What's your biggest problem in e-commerce? What are you interested in? And is there any feedback for me on this show? And so basically anytime someone opt in, Usually they fill that out right away, but the, th- the downside is they don't click the confirmation to your opt-in list, right? But, and so the other side is if they don't click that, they'll still see it later on in their email. They don't need to be reminded. And if they don't click it, they're probably not really interactive with their email, and then maybe someone you don't really want on your list too. So it works in a dual way just to get feedback. And so usually if someone's taking the initiative to opt-in, they will give you feedback, and that's the channel I found to automate uh, getting feedback. Oh, and also after they submit the survey, I have another page with a video I recorded thanking them. And then there's a link to iTunes on the bottom for a review. So how effective is that video for you? Uh, it's, it's a little hit or miss. But the thing is, knowing that they'll see you on video in person is more the aspect of connecting with you as a person, I think. It probably not as works as much as I, I wish it does. But just knowing it's there. If someone can go through this whole process, they're a very engaged person with you. So basically, that's the key I go with. Mm. I've gotten into the habit over the last two weeks or so of every email subscriber coming into the podcast. I'd actually, I'd record a quick video snippet and send it to them. 
Oh, I got to start doing that too. Do you also Google their email, try to stalk them, see where they're at? I do. See where I, they are. I do. And this works, I guess this also, we can tie this into two things. We can tie this into probably the research for upcoming guests when you don't know their email addresses or when you're trying to search for their email addresses. I use a tool called Smarter Inbox, but you can also use another tool called Reportive. Oh, yeah, um, I use that one. Yes, and essentially, if you enter an email address, it will validate against any social media accounts. And, of course, it'll pull in all the data from those social media accounts as well. So you can often, if you've just got the email address, you can pull in first name, surname, and maybe a Twitter or a Facebook feed and uh, just give you a bit of an idea of who you're actually speaking with. Yeah, and it gives the LinkedIn profile, too, which is what I've been playing with the past month or two. So basically, when you go on LinkedIn now, as of early 2003, uh, when you visit someone's profile, they actually get an alert, like someone's viewed your yes. profile. And so what I do is if you optimize your profile about a podcast and then you visit their profile, usually they'll visit you back. And then when they visit you back and if there's someone you want to interview, uh, then you just connect with them and say, hey, I saw this was interesting on your profile. Do you want to come on my podcast to talk about X topic? And that's like a ninja way to get guests and network with people too. Because if you're a business show, you know, you used to grow your leads or whatever. LinkedIn is a much better place than Facebook or Twitter, I would say, just because of this notification and it's a more B2B professional social networking place. <laughs> We're starting a little bit stalkerish, but let's, let's yeah. stay on LinkedIn for a second. Because <laughs> <laughs> again, this is relevant because we're talking about podcasting and getting guests on your show. Many famous people on LinkedIn will accept your friendship requests or your connection requests. And as soon as someone becomes a connection, you can also export all of your contacts details. And that includes yeah. an email address. And that's Again, another, I wouldn't call it ninja, but it's probably not utilized enough where you can actually get the person's, in most cases, primary email address just by connecting with them on LinkedIn. Yeah, because most people that sign up, they don't think that people can do this. So it's a, yeah, I got to start doing this too now that you bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but LinkedIn is a great way to network with people at bigger companies that maybe are still out of your league at first. So you just search someone like a HubSpot and then you look for like their vice presidents or some officer and basically you can ninja your way into the company that way. Instead of just going to the website, clicking contact us and submitting a form that goes into a corporate black hole. Okay, moving on. We're probably getting pretty close to getting through the podcasting guide. Do you have anything else we should be adding? I guess we can talk about mental resistances a little bit. That's a very important one. Or we, or we can do that later as we wrap up to you, though. No, I think we probably should because that's probably what's stopping most people from podcasting. It's yeah. going to either be the technical aspect or the mental aspect. How did that affect you? So the weirdest thing is hearing yourself on recording. I'm sure you would attest to this any day. Luckily, is with your, when you're doing an interview show and you're doing it well, probably 20% of the time you're talking and 80% of the time is your guest. And so when you listen to yourself doing that it's not that bad but when you record a whole episode by yourself and you have to edit your own audio you get very subconscious onto the stuff you're putting out in the world and is it good enough people think this is stupid because when you're doing an episode by yourself it's all you right whereas with a guest or a co-host you can bounce off each other and the dynamic is a little different so i would say the mental resistance is probably bigger than the technical aspect because the technical aspect you can really get it down in a day right and then the, the mental aspect is taking that first step putting your first episode out and then following up with the second and third and fourth and fifth episode. And I think the biggest bottleneck that I've heard is getting really past the 10th episode in terms of the consistency and just keeping yourself motivated and just pushing forward. Okay. So how have you been able to break through that then? 
Sure. So one of the things that is when you get good feedback from your show, someone says, hey, I love your podcast. I love this guest. I I learned a lot from them. And when you don't publish, when you think about not publishing, you almost feel bad that you're going to let them down. And so some ways that really keeps you going. And the other way to do it is if you just record your content in batches. So what I do is I have a whiteboard, about six or seven people on there now. And it's basically I interview people. uh, I do six or seven interviews a week and then I stop for a month. And I can focus on some other stuff to build uh, like services around the podcast. And then basically by doing that, you have to publish it because you've interviewed someone, you owe them this interview. So it forces yourself to actually publish on a consistent basis. One thing that I struggle, I I tend to do a little bit of batching as well, but I find when something's not in a consistent habit, it's actually also hard for me to return. So I might pump out four or five episodes in a week and then not have to go and record for two or three weeks. And it will get time to actually start recording again. And it's hard to get back into the mindset that I need to be recording. Has that been a problem for you? Yeah, the momentum, you do lose it once in a while. But I think as an interview show, you, I guess the pressure to create content is a lot less than, say, if you're recording five episodes yourself, I'm sure, right? Yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. So sometimes I've been doing it for about 30 episodes now. It's It just comes back after a while. Maybe you'll hit there at some point too. But I think that most of the times what really gets me through is if I really find a guest that's interesting, I think you really need to be curious about your guests and really want to learn more about them. And I think that's a big driver in terms of the long-term kind of goals of your show too. You have to enjoy publishing, you have to enjoy interacting. Otherwise, if you don't really enjoy it, at some point, I think it's going to show. And then you know you start publishing later, maybe you'll skip an episode and you start skipping two or three weeks, and then you just gradually stop. And so you see that with some podcasts that kind of started in early 2012, like a year ago. There's some people I followed, they've had maybe 10, 15 episodes, and then I really liked them, but then they just stopped or disappointing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it probably just comes down to the the person you are and the business that you're running. I know from my perspective, putting a deadline on every episode, like we will release an episode on Fridays, means that as you said earlier, you want to get that episode out. You don't want to let your listeners down. And I think having that respect for the people that put you in their in their ears for an hour a week is very important because without that, <laughs> it is likely that the show will just fizzle out and you stop recording. Yeah, exactly. And I, when I was starting out my website, I was like, should I actually publicly say new episodes every Sunday? And I was like, gosh, I got to hold myself accountable. So I was like, okay, screw it. I'm just going to put new episodes every Sunday and I'm just going to put it out there and I'm going to hold myself to this. And so, yeah. And I think the, the big gauge is when you're done with editing episode, are you really excited to press publish? Because if you are, that's a good sign. If you're not, maybe that's something you need to sort through. That's my take on it. Yeah, cool. Before I move on, I just want to roll back a little bit. And you're talking about the mental aspects and about listening to your own voice. And that's something, yeah, definitely that really affects me. But the way I've been able to break through that barrier is that I don't edit my own podcast. So I actually have someone do that for me. And so essentially that means that I'll jump off this call with you tonight, Terry, and it'll be uploaded to Dropbox and then it automatically gets edited. And that's means that there's no time for me to think about whether or not I sounded good because it just automatically gets uh, edited. Mm-hmm. And do you find that, because I'm anal of it, I like to edit my own stuff because I want to make sure it sounds a certain way. Did you have a hard time letting go having someone else edit this? Or No, I didn't, but I also prospected quite a bit for the right person. It was uh, via Odesk. I got my audio editor off Odesk. Uh, I'm based here in Melbourne. And the person that I actually employed is living in Richmond, which is about two suburbs away from where I am here. Mm-hmm. So I guess having a, a native English speaking editor who I can pick up the phone and speak to or even jump in the car and drive around and see him has been really helpful because he really gets what I'm trying to do. 
Yeah, that's the one thing too. Like I've been thinking about hiring an editor, like the VA, but I just don't know if I can let someone do this at this stage. But maybe in the future, once I have more on my plate. But do you listen to your podcast after they're done? I do. I probably listen to each episode two or three times. And normally what I'll do is that this is a a perfect case in point. I'll probably download this to my phone as soon as I get off the call and I'll listen to it for the drive home. And I guess that just gives me a little bit of perspective about what I'm actually recording or where I can improve. And then I'll usually listen to a second time around once it's been edited just for the quality control. And Mm. every now and then I'll go back to an episode just to actually listen to the content that my guest provided. Interesting. Yeah, I I do that too. So I usually take notes as I'm doing the interview. And then once I'm done with the whole uploading thing, I'll download it to my phone. Actually, no, before this, I actually listened to it once just to make sure there's no gaps in my editing in case I miss like a block of silence here or there. So basically I'll edit it, listen to it once, upload it, download it to my phone, just to make sure the experience is what kind of I want the audience to see. And like you said, just to get some perspective as an end user uh, when they're on your show. Yeah, that's very interesting. It's Googling your own name. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I guess since we're on this show, do you want to talk about uh, a little bit about artwork and kind of the ID3 stuff? Yeah, or? yeah, that'd be fantastic. Sure. So I think some podcasts, you can choose to put your face on there or not. I think this is a personal decision. Personally, it depends on the business model you're going. I think uh, you look at Shremko, Tim Reed, Dan Norris, uh, myself, you. I think we all have our face on the artwork, right? And this serves a purpose because when you see someone on your phone, and you're listening to them, you make a connection that, oh, this is someone that's talking to me. And so it's funny when you go to a live event, like I went to Dan Andrews Dynamite Circle meetup in October, and there were like three or four people that I never met before. They're like, oh, hey, you're Terry Lynn. I listened to your podcast, and I was like, whoa, this is a little weird. But it's interesting, though, because if you don't have your face on there, you're just a voice. And so it works both ways, too, right? Because you look at some DJs, you never see their picture before, but you feel like you know them. So I think uh, this is a very important decision that you should make early on, because if you switch your artwork halfway through, it can throw off the branding uh, of your show. Yeah, it definitely can. And I guess what's the giveaway for people meeting you? You've got the right leg kicked out to the left and the arms up in the air with the coattail swinging around? Oh, yeah. No, that's just my social media. (laughs) So the one on my podcast is just me uh, holding a sign. I was at a friend's studio just messing around. And so I guess a lot of the podcasts are like the show's name, something like with uh, Terry Lynn. And so I decided, okay, I'll just print a sign of me holding this in a picture and then look a little different and it uh, looks a little cool. So <laughs> For our listeners, this is obviously audio. I'm going to include links to the photos in the show notes of what I'm talking about here. Will that be my caricature, the little James Bond I'm little think, twist? Yeah, I'm thinking it will be. So. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> cool. Yeah, okay. And then so that's, I guess, your image or your your brand. And you're talking, what's an ID3? So ID3 is, so normally when you have an audio file, this is something you'll see in Chris Ravenscraft podcast answer man series. So basically, when you save a file on your computer and you look at it, you find it in your heart, it'll say episode 26. But when you load it into a player, there's a separate set of data that identifies it in a playlist. So when you go to iTunes, it has the artist, the title, the year, the album, artwork, all that stuff. That stuff is called the ID3 tag. Basically, if you don't have that on your phone or in your file and you open it on your phone, what you'll have is just a blank screen with the default no no artwork image. And so basically, you lose out on a big branding aspect for your business. So what you want to do in your ID tag is you want to include, obviously, your name, your website, artwork and you can also do show notes in the lyrics side which is what i do when i listen to the podcast again uh, i take notes i copy this off shremko he does like a timestamp topic so basically every 
like time he talks about a certain topic, he'll say at one minute, 30 seconds, we talk about this topic and then he'll go on like listing that on in each episode. Basically, when you have that in your phone and your audience wants to skim through, they can just then just skip around to the general area versus listening to the whole podcast and having to go back and find where to take the notes. So basically, all this stuff goes into your ID3 tag and it's like the branding aspect of the actual audio file in a sense. Mm, I don't personally do this, but I think we must have something like that being done by the team. Yeah. I don't go as far as, I guess, time stamping it, but I probably should investigate that. That's probably why. Yes. Yeah. I don't do an exact timestamp. I just listen to it and I jot down the general time area I heard it. So just, I just do this while I do the second listen just to check the quality. I think just thinking about, because uh, normally the way I consume podcasts is usually when I'm doing something uh, like driving or taking a walk. And usually it's from start to finish of an episode. But I guess where the timestamping would become important is when somebody has heard something and they want to re-reference it. Yeah. Or it could be as a good way to entice people to listen to it. So sometimes if you just put a podcast episode, no one knows who your guest is, but you talk about really interesting stuff. There's no way to give them like a preview, right? Like I think Derek Halpern from Social Triggers, he calls this the information gap, right? Whereas basically you tell people, here's what we're going to tell you. Here's a preview. And if you want to find out the rest, you need to subscribe to my emails into my podcast or watch this video. So basically it serves as a way to give people an idea of what to expect. And if it's enticing, they'll probably listen to it. So it works both ways too, I think. Mm, it certainly does. Okay. I think we're getting close to wrapping this up. We've covered quite a lot in the episode and I'm conscious of taking up too much of your time, Terry. What I'm very interested in though is what have you gotten out of podcasting for the last six or so months? Sure. So podcasting is a great networking tool, I would say. Like I said earlier, it's much easier to chat with someone that you're promoting their business on the side too. In some ways, they feel like, hey, if you need anything else after, you can just ask me for help. And so basically what this has led to is some consulting gigs on the side, just starting out. People that are looking to start a store, uh, they're not really sure where to begin. And so they're willing to do a session with me on like a one-on-one just to guide them through the ins and outs. And so basically once you've spoken to 30, 40 guests within the specific niche, you'll know the best practices, the mistakes they made. And you can piece everything together in terms of what can work for a beginner or not. So that's where you can leverage that into expertise, into something else. So basically you're taking your intellectual capital that you've gathered and then you turn it into intellectual property and services. Fantastic. And okay, where's the next six to 12 months taking you? So the next six to 12 months is ideally is building a services business off the podcast for uh, e-commerce store. So a lot of them are, need help with things like pay-per-click, maybe writing copy, maybe they need an SEO campaign. So the idea is to build these this kind of one-stop shop platform on the back of this podcast where you also have a consultant that can give you the best practices on what's worked for different stores. Whereas if you just went on the internet and found some SEO person or another person, uh, there's a little bit of differentiation here. And you also have the body of work of podcasts where you get a lot of value from listening to different uh, guests too. Mm, And you certainly build up the right brand, build my online store. It plays well into the services market. Yeah. And that's one thing you got to think about too, when you're starting your show's name, do you want to start with a Google Yahoo where you really have to build up the brand over a period of time? Or do you just go with something that's self-explanatory, build my online store or like yours, the multimedia marketing show. It's very straightforward. You see it, you know what it's about and you can engage with it uh, right away. Yeah. And for the vast majority of things, I think it probably makes more sense to do it like that because it makes it easier to build up a customer base. Yeah, it works both ways. And there was a branding person I talked to. If you look at Tim Ferriss and Chris Gillibo, Tim Ferriss has the whole four-hour thing under his brand. Right? He has a four-hour body, four-hour chef. 
Uh, he can cut it's under his name. Whereas Chris Gillibo, if you look at him, he has like the hundred dollar startup, uh, art of nonconformity, and a bunch of other things. So he's not very in the forefront as much as Tim is. And so the advantage of that is you can then do different projects and different niches. Whereas if you're focused on if I use Terry Lynn as the name for this podcast, if I decide to go into, say, Japanese steak knives, my audience will be like, whoa, what, what are you doing? This is very weird. So if you had a branded name off a company name, you can you, then you can hire people to join your team, too. You can have different aspects within this brand. Whereas if you did it personally, you're not necessarily stuck, but the amount of pivoting you can do is stuck because once you have an audience that's really resonating with you on this topic. If you want to switch, it's a more difficult thing to do. Mm. I was having a just a conversation earlier with Dan Norris along these lines about how you go about branding or going with a like a personal brand type of thing against going with a more generic type of brand. It's I don't think there's any one right answer. Yeah, there's yeah, I think there's no right or wrong way. Another thing is too. If I was just to say, hey, listen to the Terry Lynn podcast versus the Build My Online Store podcast, no one knows who Terry Lynn is. They're going to be like, who is this guy? Why do I need to listen to him? Whereas if you see Build My Online Store, multimedia marketing show, web domination, you can immediately know what you're going to expect. So the other ways to look at it. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. All right, Terry, I think that's fantastic. We've got so much there that our audience can sink their teeth into and get stuck into it. Where can our listeners find out a little bit more about you? Sure. So you can find my podcast on buildmyonlinestore.com. I publish new episodes every Sunday. We're always interested to talk to e-commerce store owners. But if you're also a service provider, you do SEO, copywriting, we always bring different guests on just to bring uh, another angle onto how to approach e-commerce. So buildmyonlinestore.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at it's me, Terry Lin, and I'm also on LinkedIn. So yeah, that's how you can find me. Excellent. Terry, thank you very much for coming on the episode. It's been fantastic. You've shared so much awesome content with our listeners and I'm sure they appreciate it. And I know I certainly do. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jake. 